0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week.
1: Take the quiz
2: every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
3: From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian kilmeade
4: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here at the bottom of the hour. Brett Baer will be here, best-selling author. His new book, To Rescue the Constitution, doing extremely well. He was at the Reagan Library, Nixon Library. But most importantly, he'll be with us. Ronna McDaniel in studio, the RNC chairwoman. It's going to be great to talk to her in a matter of moments. Rhonda, great to see you. Great
1: to see you. Great to be here.
4: All right, so there's so much going on right now. We're also waiting for Anthony Blinken to come out and basically answer some questions about what it was like in this a uh, war meeting with the Israelis, meeting with the Prime Minister and the President. The word is he wants a he wants a pause. I think that would be a huge mistake. Let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know. It's Brian's big three. Number three.
5: Stop touching it. Stop touching me Do you not stand for what you
1: Shame. believe?
6: Why don't you want to be pumped?
4: Uh, that's a Jewish Harvard Harvard student being attacked because he was trying to stop people from taking down hostage pictures. Are these people ignorant or just idiots? You make the call after a prethler of protests yesterday, today and tomorrow, supposed to be the biggest of all for the Palestinian slash Hamas. What planet are we on?
3: Number two. Do you believe uh, is the United States safer from foreign terror threats today? Are we safer than when
7: Joe Biden took office? The threats are very different uh, today uh, than they were a number of years ago. They were very different today than they were three weeks ago.
4: Unbelievable, mayork is so over his head. The border surge, not only overwhelming cities and schools, but now the FBI is alarmed about the number of high-value aliens loose in the nation.
5: Number one.
0: So a pause does not help Hamas.
5: A temporary pause that's localized that would allow us... To get aid in and to get our people out is a good thing for the people of Gaza. It's a good thing for the Americans that are being held hostage.
4: Admiral Kirby knows better, but he says it anyway. Israel at war. Pressure to pause. Operations grow as they now have Gaza, Gaza City surrounded. I say kill the pause and kill off Hamas now as Hezbollah is about to announce their game plan. Will there be a northern front in the southern part of Lebanon? Uh, Rana, the, the world's on fire.
1: It's on fire. And it's because we have weak leadership. When we have a weak leader, the world is less safe. Biden is weak. He's projected that since Afghanistan. We saw it with Russia, with taking the sanctions off of Nord Stream 2. We've watched China emerge. We've watched our southern border explode. And now we've seen what's happening in the Middle East. And the world is watching Joe Biden. And they know we can take advantage of a very weak president.
4: Right. And it's Iran is the problem. And even the people problem. in the Middle East know this.
1: They know it. You know, Brian, I went to Saudi Arabia this year with the Republican Jewish coalition. I went to Bahrain and Israel to celebrate the Abraham Accords. They were incredibly enthusiastic about the progress they were seeing with the Muslim and Israel, uh, Muslim nations in Israel with the Abraham Accords. And they've seen that stripped away with Biden. Not only did he. Pull, uh, get back into the Iran deal and give them $6 billion, but he pulled away the sanctions. So they've made so much money on oil as he's killed our own energy independence. He funded Hamas essentially by take, giving Iran their money back.
4: So it's so interesting today as we look at the party of politics, the Republicans – I remember back in. Were you chairperson when McCain? You were not. No, like chair. no. So I know so, it feels
1: like I've been here forever, but I wasn't there. So
4: McCain famously gets the nomination because he supported the surge. Right. But by the time he has the nomination, it becomes about the collapsing economy. Correct. Things broke in Barack Obama's way because, to his credit, he was all over Hank Paulson, calling him every day, trying to figure this out. He looked. He he actually performed better. This is coming. You know, Trump says, "Look at my foreign policy." I'm I'm willing I'm willing to run on that. And then Nikki Haley says, look at my relationships. I'm looking to run on that. I know these people, I know these players. So both of them have pretty strong report cards. The governor, everyone's saying, Oh, you served, Governor DeSantis, you served over there, but you don't necessarily have the international experience yet.
1: Yeah, I think one, our bench is so much better than Biden, and you look at everything that's happening in the world. I mean, do you feel more safe? Do you feel economically safe? Do you feel like your streets are safe? Do you feel like your kids are safe? At every single level, this country is less safe under Biden. And then you look at Trump and Haley and DeSantis. I have to be careful, Tim Scott. All of the candidates. Tim Scott that we make have, the stage, by the way. I, I think he's going to make the stage. Yeah,
4: because he said yesterday. He's going to be on the stage, but I haven't seen confirmation he, he from you He has submitted
1: guys. all the criteria, so we're going through that right now. So how
4: many will be on there?
1: I think there'll be five, but I'm going to knock on wood because Burgum hasn't submitted his criteria yet.
4: So they have to get what for percentage? They have to get
1: don- 4% in one national poll and two state polls or 4% in two national polls, and then they have to be at 80, 000, or 70000 for small-dollar donations. And
4: you have no idea where the governor of North Dakota is?
1: I do not. He has not submitted his criteria to us yet. He has up until Monday to do so, and so we'll know if he makes the debate stage then.
4: Do you think that you're still a candidate if you don't make the debate stage?
1: I think it's hard. I think it's hard to have that breakout moment, and and that's not our goal. You obviously can still run. Making the debate stage doesn't preclude you from getting on a, a ballot and running in certain states, but I do think it makes it harder to get your message out.
4: What uh, have the conversations with President Trump been like?
1: Well, he's not going to do the debates. There's you know, no way. He, there's no way. He's and, and it hasn't hurt him, He right? doesn't want you
4: to do the debates. No,
1: he doesn't want me to do <laughs> the <laughs> debates. The thing is, is if the RNC said we're going to stop debates, debates, there'd be more debates. The, the, everybody would just negotiate just directly the with one. the networks. Yeah. yeah, there'd be part of the reason we did this is because in 2012, there were so many debates. There was a debate every other day from all these different organizations sponsoring debates, and it precluded the candidates from campaigning. So we took control so that there weren't 30 debates heading into the primary. But if we said, oh, we're going to stop debates, there'd be five more this month or five more in December.
4: Right. And do you have you decided on a New Hampshire date yet?
1: We have not, but we're working on it. We've got probably an Iowa debate and a New Hampshire debate.
4: So uh, it should be interesting to see. So the story over the last 22 days prior to last week was the fracture of the Republican Party. And they looked at the House and they just said, what are you doing? Republicans were saying that, like Mike McCall. Within a matter of days, people were saying, what's going on with the Democrats? You see Josh Gottheimer almost get into it with a congressman from Indiana. You see the squad famously condemning President Biden for, for taking the side of the Israelis. What has it been like for you watching this? And does it remind you of anything?
1: It does. I mean, I do think there's a fissure in their party, and we've watched this happen as they've allowed this anti-Semitic wing to grow within their party. They've nurtured it. They've said, we're going to have our cake and eat it, too. We're going to court Jewish Americans, but we're also going to court this Hamas pro-anti-Israel you know, part of our party. The Republican Party doesn't do that. We have been very pro-Israel. You're not seeing that division in our party. You've seen the House pass funding for Israel yesterday with 12 Democrat votes. But I think Biden is in a pickle on this, and he's having this fissure within his party. It's very real.
5: Which
4: the most fascinating thing, I think, for the political side and for our national security, the first and foremost, is what's happening at the border. Well, it's not Republicans saying I'd be tougher on the border. It is Democratic mayors. They went down to see the president, uh, actually didn't meet with the president. They just went down to the White House to meet with officials about how to get more money for the illegals that are laying in their streets. I want you to hear Mayor Brandon Johnson uh, this mayor who's, uh, who's been an epic fail so far, cut 23. 150 buses alone have showed up since the month, in the month of October. Since I've been in office, we've had over 350 buses just show up in this short period of time. And so as we continue to stand up, uh, more shelters, um, we're going to need the federal government to lean in to help provide the support for the people who are seeking asylum here. And he went on to say this, cut 24. So we have to ask ourselves what's different about those who were, you know, seeking uh, refuge in this country from the ukraine versus those individuals who are seeking asylum from Venezuela um, what we have to keep in mind in this moment is that that the the failures of 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 systems of oppression for decades now um, have have helped cause and create the type of political tension that that unfortunately exists today what does that even mean?
1: I don't even know what that means.
4: I know they like to say we're an oppressive country, which is how do you explain what? everyone coming here?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's just not forget. Biden on the debate stage said, "I'm going to open the border." I mean, he's doing what he said he was going to do. This was part of his campaign promise. It now. But he did say it. And all these mayors—remember, they were sanctuary city mayors—come to our city, and what they're realizing is—and I'm in New York right now. I just saw this on the streets of New York. They don't have the resources to take care of this influx of migrants and take care of the people in their own city. They just can't do it. You can't provide the health care. You can't provide the education, the jobs. Jobs. People are suffering. And, you know, if you go to McAllen, Texas, and Mc- in Hidalgo County, and you talk to a Border Patrol agent or you talk to people from those communities, they'll say the same thing. Our hospitals are overwhelmed. Our schools are overwhelmed. We don't have the money. The government is flooding our, our borders. And we can control this because we did it under President Trump.
4: But well, what is the political reason why he would take so many hits like this that hurt so many people that are in, de- in these cities that are-, that are hurting Democrats?
1: I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. I know there's some who are saying, "Well, they're putting them in states so that they can get votes, right?" It's going
4: to take forever from the vote, and the Hispanic vote's been trending towards you guys. The
1: Hispanic, and that's why we're opening Hispanic community centers as well. Because, by the way, people who are coming to America, they love America. A lot of these people, they're they're fleeing communism and right. and and terrible governments. But the fentanyl that's coming now, we have Chinese people coming across. you have got people from all these different countries coming across. Terrorists coming across. Russians. Biden is doing, he's turning his back on this, so is Mayorkas. It's intentional. This is a problem that could be fixed, and he's choosing not to. Right.
4: I want you to Governor Chris Anuna is with me, and we're talking about New Hampshire, and where he's governor for now, but he's not, he's going to just stop running, I guess. Joe Biden has given up on New Hampshire, and his whole party says, basically, if you run in New Hampshire, you're a racist. Cut 30.
8: Here's a news flash for Joe Biden. Nobody cares. <laughs> like Nobody really cares that Joe Biden's not on the ballot here. There's not some giant clamoring wing of the Democrat Party. I wish I could vote for Biden in the New Hampshire primary where well, they're moving on. They've given up on him. They're moving on. I think Dean Phillips has a huge opportunity here to just crack the Democrat Party wide open.
4: You have to look at the opposition. Do you think that this could be a bigger deal than just a congresswoman from Minnesota running against the sitting president?
1: Uh, I mean, they changed their primary calendar. So New Hampshire is not going to have their delegates seated, right? Biden came in fifth in 2020 in New Hampshire. So He left
4: t- before the vote came. Yeah, out.
1: he left. I mean, he walked away from New Hampshire because he was weak there to begin with. And the DNC has said, OK, we're going to change the whole calendar to favor our incumbent president. So they put South Carolina first. So I don't think this is going to affect him getting the nomination. And I don't think it's going to hurt him in his
4: party. When we come back more, Ronald McDaniel also in Colorado, they're pushing to make the former president ineligible. Uh, will they be successful? What would that mean for everybody? Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
3: Diving deep into today's top stories,
6: it's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
3: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking
6: about it. You're with Brian
3: Kilmeade.
6: Our military should be focused on lethality, not all of the social challenges that have been brought into the military by this president. Focusing back on lethality, eliminating the current debate over abortion, is something the president of the United States can do right this very moment on his own, no action from Congress. Just do what the law says.
4: All right. So so you're with Tuberville.
6: He, he is right on his issue.
4: So, but he's causing a fracture in the Republican Party by standing up and saying no nominations, no promotions. Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama, until you change the rule that allows people to use taxpayer money to get abortions if you're in the military. Uh, it's Lindsey Graham, uh, Michael McCall. Many other city, Mitch McConnell, are all against what Tuberville is doing. With me right now in studio, Rhonda McDaniel, RNC chairwoman. Rhonda, is Tuberville doing the right thing? Is it?
1: And Joni Ernst too. Listen, I know he's doing it from principle. He believes it. Yeah, Joni Ernst is where Mitch is. I I do think in this time and place we have to have our military leaders in place. I think we've got to move forward. And I understand what he's saying—that the military is doing the wrong thing and creating. A policy on abortion that they shouldn't be. That's fine. But maybe this isn't the right way to handle it.
4: So do you feel like you're playing a political party's playing a political price for that because you're usually so uh, strong militarily?
1: Well, it's hard when you have your own party divided on it. So I wish they would resolve it behind closed doors, go caucus, figure it out, come out with a solution and let's make sure we get our military leaders in place.
4: Um, Governor Ron DeSantis, people thought he was going to give a real run at the former president. What's been the problem with that campaign?
1: Well, I think there haven't been votes yet, so let's see what happens in Iowa. You know, I think it's hard when you're going up against President Trump. It's hard. He, I mean, it's a former president. We're in uncharted waters, right, with a former president running for president. He has a huge base. But I'll say something else. If you've looked at history, people who've run before usually get the nomination because they understand the delegate game. They understand how to work with the state parties. They understand all these things. And Trump has a very strong team on that front.
4: And how do you – what's been the biggest surprise about how he's been performing? Up 30 points in almost every state poll, national poll.
1: I have to be so neutral. So I, know, I have I to be careful here. I, well, I think we, they're all great. Does the <laughs>
4: dynamics change when Alvin Bragg came out with the indictment? Or do you think there was a different moment when it became pretty clear that he was going to have a lot of power? Because after 2022, most people said a lot of his candidates did not do well. And they thought he was damaged. And that's why a lot of people got in.
1: I definitely think people are frustrated with the two-tiered system of justice, and they feel like President Trump, not just this, but from the beginning of his presidency with the Russia collusion, uh, the Mueller investigation, all the things we now know were not true, things that he had to deal with that really hurt him. Remember the Republican House started an investigation on him on Russia collusion. His own party did when he was president. It definitely thwarted his agenda. And we now, though, now that it was based on a fake dossier that the Democrats were meddling in that campaign. So I think there's a frustration. I hear it all the time across the country, the things he's had to deal with. And then you add the Bragg uh, indictment on that, and they just think it's wrong.
5: I, I
4: don't know where exactly you come in with the fundraising. But Kevin McCarthy was a monster fundraiser. He was a monster. And there's really no track record for Mike Johnson yet. What do you do to make up for the fact that the Democrats, not into, it, it, there are 50-50 chance of taking back the House, and you've been behind the eight ball?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm sad about what's happened with Kevin. I, I like Mike Johnson a lot, but Kevin was a prolific fundraiser. Not only that, he recruited really great candidates that were right for the 70% district.
4: 70% of everybody in the in the House he put in.
1: Yeah, and he and I worked with him. You know, after 2018, remember Paul Ryan stepped away from the speakership before the midterm.
4: Very damaging. Before by the, the
1: way. midterm, right? It hurt us financially. I love Paul, but it hurt us a lot. And then Kevin came in and got right on the ball with recruitment. We picked up 15 seats in 2020 in a presidential year in California, New York. So Mike's going to do great. I think there's a lot of appetite to keep the house, and I think. I'll help him. Kevin's going to help him. I think we all want to make sure that we we keep. Will the Kevin house. help? I think Kevin absolutely will help. He's a team player.
4: Uh, so, Rana, what role does the RNC have in raising money as opposed to the House just raising money for themselves?
1: Well, the House Kevin can raise money into an arm where he can take a ten million dollar check. I can't. I'm I'm capped at four hundred thousand. So we have different vehicles in ways that we can raise money.
4: Um, so you'll pick your spots in like a place like New York yep. and say, okay, I'm going to put my money here. I'm going to put my money in California to make sure we maybe flip this seat or keep ISA where he is.
1: Yeah, we're we're prohibited. We don't have the same capacity that you know, Kevin has through CLF and Mitch has through SLF. But I will say this, this Bank Your Vote initiative that we've launched to really educate and get our voters on board with voting by mail and voting early okay. is going to be a game changer.
4: And what do you think it's going to do for Virginia. Governor Youngkin's really led on that.
1: He has. Now, money is not going to be an issue in Virginia. He's raised a ton of money. He's doing the Bank Your Vote initiative. Honestly, if you're in Virginia right now, every Democrat ads about abortion. Every Republican ad is about crime. I still think abortion is going to be the forefront issue in 2024, and our candidates have to be able to address this. Well, how do you address it? you say this is a very tough issue i understand that it's a personal issue for many voters but we have to come to a consensus that we need to have common sense limitations that when a baby feels pain enough is enough and we need to have exceptions for rape life and incest
4: that's a line that i think people have a trouble trouble countering
1: yeah i mean when a baby feels pain the science has shown us there should be a limitation don't use the word ban use the word limitation what week is that 15
4: okay uh, Ronnie, get your hands full. It was great talking to you about great things going to you. on on the eve of the debate this week. Yeah, how, how many debate. on the stage? Five.
1: Five on the stage. We think there could be six. NBC. I know it's not Fox, but yeah, NBC debate.
4: We'll be watching
1: Wednesday. Thanks. Radio
3: that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And as you push the Israelis. For humanitarian pauses,
0: are they just supposed to sit back and let Hamas attack them and attack them and attack them and not fight back?
5: We have been crystal clear that Israel has the right to defend themselves. I mean, my still goodness. pauses pause
0: means they can still shoot back.
5: My goodness, Peter, we're giving them security assistance almost every day. But do we advocate pauses by both sides here, temporary, localized, to be able to get Americans out? To be able to get aid in? You betcha we do. That doesn't mean that we're calling for a general ceasefire. There's a, hang on a second, there's a difference.
4: I don't know the difference. General Keene did not know the difference. I give him four stars. I know he's an admiral, but I think that what I saw yesterday, Peter did a brilliant job, as usual, questioning the admiral, and he had no answers on a thing that he grew up in. He's been in the military for decades, and there's no reason for a pause. They're getting 70 trucks in a day. And they're getting humanitarian aid in a day. They say the first thing that will happen, those hostages will move if you stop shooting. Brett Baer joins us now, chief political anchor for Fox News. He's all over this story, as usual. Anchor, special report, and his book's now a bestseller, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. The special's on Fox Nation. It'll probably be on Fox News, too. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Brett, I I was pretty amazed. It was a real conversation about stuff that really mattered about the war. Now we have Anthony Blinken speaking at this moment, so we'll take this in. We'll They'll transcribe it. Uh, and I get the sense that he was coming over to tell Benjamin Netanyahu, I'm getting a lot of pressure. The president's losing Muslim support. Give me a pause. What do you think?
9: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about what John Kirby said is a pause on both sides. Well, there is no pause on the Hamas side. There is no pause. You have a Hamas official saying that uh, they're going to continue their intifada against israel and um it's in the charter but they're saying it publicly so maybe sometimes you should listen to what their leaders are saying um so it wouldn't be a pause on both sides it would be a pause on the israeli side going after hamas terrorists and yes there is a lot of pressure on the administration because you know the democratic party is split uh and i think there is you know more and more there are more and more of these protests that are tapping into that feeling uh, as more you know bodies are showing up on TV.
4: Uh, I mean, I saw, and you saw too, you used to work there. I think it was Durham. They were just sitting in, this, in the middle of a busy highway uh, blocking the roads. They lined the bridges. I watched your show last night. You guys were kind of covering that live. And, of course, we had the protest that's supposed to be huge in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, all pro-Palestinian, all pro-Hamas. Brett, were you taking as back as me? I know Britt was the first night this happened that this this anti-Israel hatred towards Jewish people and dislike and a, a disorientation about who's to blame about the violence in the Middle East?
9: Yeah, I do think it's striking. I think um, increasingly it's not just anti-Israel, it's anti-Semitic. And, and I think the prevalence of that and the fact that it is as big as it is, is is surprising to even people who... You know, no, it's out there, but it's it's a lot broader and deeper than we thought it was. Here
4: is this. Well, uh, this NYU student, Bella uh, Ingbar, she was on yesterday talking about what it's like walking around New York right now. Cut 27.
2: Being a Jew at NYU right now is 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 scary. Uh, we're seeing an uptick in anti-Israel protests that are turning anti-Semitic. There are signs that read uh, uh, globalize the Intifada, which is a historical call for the extermination of Jews and call for violence against Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not calls for peace. They are calls for violence. They are calls for the blood of Jews to be spilled. Um, we are hearing chants of gas the Jews, uh, of Hitler was right. Um, and as the granddaughter of of Holocaust survivors, these statements being thrown around so carelessly and thoughtlessly uh, are extremely harmful and the spreading of misinformation as well. Uh, contributed both by students and of faculty members
4: and this what a lot of people are saying in new york city nyu is always out of control they're always uh you know purple uh purple hair nose rings find something wrong with society while getting high while paying you taking ninety two thousand dollars a year from your parents but that i've never thought i'd just hear a random student at an elite
9: university make those statements yeah i think it's truly amazing uh and i think it's then in the not just New York. I mean you're you're at at places that are not traditional blue wave places that you're seeing some of these protests. So you know what what does that go back to back to uh, you know the the college campuses and the tenure and the the professors, you know, what they're being taught maybe, uh but clearly it's a PR battle and The Israelis are trying to get that word out. You know, I've seen some of those images, some of those videos. Uh, We can't describe them enough, how horrific and barbaric and and how much depravity was in those those actions on October 7th.
4: And and some of the clips we've been running, these guys are saying we'll do it again through translation in Arabic. The political wing of the of Hamas, located outside Gaza, said, we plan on doing this again and again. When this is over, we're going back to do it again. So you, everyone says, oh, you know, the Palestinians had a raw deal. Let's work on a two-state solution. Someone's got to talk to the other side. They have no interest in what people want them to do.
9: Yeah. And listen, I, I think that when you say pause, uh, people think, oh, this is a traditional soldier versus soldier thing. Or you pause and you actually take a stop and you try to get people out. That's not what is being proposed here and not what the Hamas officials are agreeing to. Um, and I think people have to listen to what they're saying and what they're writing in their charters uh, before you go after the Israelis. That said, the Israelis are trying hard, Brian, to avoid civilian casualties. Uh, you know, they dropped those leaflets. They tried to get people down to the south. Uh, of Gaza, they're they're kind of doing a pincher move up in the north, uh, and you just no one stopped us after 9/11 and said, hey, you need to do a pause going after Al Qaeda terrorists, or you need to stop dropping you know drone bombs on on Al Qaeda leaders. We did it, and there were civilians killed, but in the wake of 9/11, we felt justified, and um, I don't know why Israel doesn't get. That
4: same nod, right? I want you to hear what Dick Durbin said. Uh, you know, I should say General Dick Durbin because obviously is great political, uh, great uh, military instincts. Cut five.
2: Is a ceasefire <laughs> needed now?
6: I think it is, at least uh, under uh, in the context of both sides agreeing. For example, the release of those who
10: have been kidnapped should be part of this immediate release. Uh, that should be the beginning of it. Uh, an effort should be made to engage in conversation between the Israelis,
4: and the Palestinians. So, General Dick Durbin says this is time for a pause. That's what J- Joe Biden's dealing with now.
9: Yeah, and I think they're, they're changing what they're talking about or how they're talking about it. Clearly, you know, they're very clear, moral, um, uh, specific clarity at the, you know, the last two, three weeks has, has changed a bit. And you wonder whether that's the political pressure or whether, you know, there's a policy shift that's happening inside. So
4: you're out at the Reagan Library and Nixon Library talking about uh, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. The name of the book is To Rescue the Constitution. as part of your series. What has the interaction been like? What are people saying to you when you go to these places?
9: You know, it's it's really interesting. It, it fits in right now, and your book will fit in right now when it comes out. Is it next week, Ryan? Tuesday,
4: but uh, nice. Yeah, but you and I will both eventually have specials on the channel. We think, if the war slows yeah.
9: down, <laughs> maybe, maybe. But um, and that's on Fox Nation now, and it's it's really well done, and I'm I'm looking forward to it to broadcast on uh, on Fox News. But there was a lot of interaction about the founding of the country and how important it is to look back, and how we almost didn't make it to the starting line. Um, and in dark times, and this is one of those times, it's always good to look back to where we were before, uh, and we've managed as a country to get through some pretty tough stuff.
4: I remember one of the quotes, and I'll just paraphrase from Washington. I think Hamilton was trying to convince him to run for a third term. He said, half the, if I go, so if I ran again, half the country would hate me and the other half, uh, would love me. I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And party politics started after he left. Do you think that's a, a, a he's, he made a great summation in that?
9: Yeah, and it's in his farewell address too. I mean, a real concern about partisanship and political parties and and the rise of them. And if you let them burn, um, they will all consume. And I think you know, there's a lot of people who look at our today's politics and realize that the power of political parties has gone out of control. But the basic premise is that it's we the people. We the people is how our government is formed, and we always have to remember that it's not them to us; it's us to them. And um, it's good to touch base at the beginning to remember that.
4: So, uh, Brett, where do we get it? I mean, are you going to be? Do you have any signings coming up?
9: Or I've got, uh, I've got, I, I did three weeks, and uh, I'm pl- plugging back in and in the news world. I'll have sporadic signings here and there. Okay. You can go to com and they'll pop up there and you can uh, see if I'll be in your neighborhood. I, I don't do the Brian Kilmeade, like <laughs> 700 cities. <laughs> um, I don't have that operation, but um, I, I will do some signings coming up and you can get the book any place. There are right. signed copies. It's uh, doing do, do quite well. And
4: yeah, go to Fox nation, download it, check it out. Uh, and my, mine comes out. I think it'll be available Sunday on Fox nation. Uh Allison. Maybe we should pull next time you come on, Brett. We're gonna have some clips from your special, something to look forward to. Nice, right? Okay, and, good. And we'll see if maybe one time we could do the Brett and Brian World Tour.
9: I'm, I'm in. I told you, I'm in. <laughs> All right, you've got it down. You've got it down to a science. I just need to plug in. <laughs> That's true. We have the we
4: have the apparatus. We have the infrastructure, thanks to Joe Biden. And you have
9: to come on special report uh, sometime when I get on your schedule, maybe from Alaska or something.
4: Right. Know what I was going to do? I, I saw the request was for the whole hour. I can't stay the whole hour. Right.
9: <laughs> That's, so,
4: I mean, if you could don't mind getting some reporters and maybe a panel, because I can't stay there the whole time. I'm so busy. I understand. I you do? Understand. Okay. Sorry. I, we should have probably handled this behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, so why on the hey, you got it hey, uh, uh, to rescue the constitution pick it up Brett will watch it tonight very consequential times we'll see you you got it uh, Anthony Blinken speaking right now but he's taking questions I'm going to come back and we'll cue some up see what he's saying every word matters it's not one of those boring press conferences where you say well they're trying to spin it uh, people are dying and in a, in a in a within a half hour the head of Hezbollah has a Uh, has an appearance, at which time he could declare war on Israel. This is Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking
6: news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't imagine the Israelis would buy into a pause. I mean, they'll take a a tactical local pause if they find hostages and are able to get them out of there. Certainly they'll do that. They've already demonstrated that. But anything much larger than that would be a detriment to them. And you can imagine they're at the tactical level fighting. If they were to stop right there, they're going to be vulnerable themselves uh, to ambushes by... uh, Hamas, I doubt seriously that Hamas would abide by any, any pause in terms of ceasefire. If they have an opportunity to kill Israeli soldiers, right. uh, they're going to take advantage of that. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense.
4: So, General Keene, that was, he was with me this morning, and I don't think there's anybody more respected. And I've asked all these generals and admirals. I'll ask Admiral Chavez. I'll ask General Petraeus. I'll talk to General McChrystal. You bring up General Keene's name, everyone just, oh, my goodness, what a great guy. What a great leader. What an unbelievable tactician. He actually heads up the Institute of Study of War. If you want to know what's going on in all hotspots, now you, now uh, of course uh, with Hamas and now uh, with Ukraine, you just look up the Institute of Study for War. That that's his context and his analysis. So he's saying, I don't. He he was telling me in the break, Brian. I don't even get it. I don't understand. You want to get humanitarian aid in? Okay, you got you got like eighty trucks yesterday of humanitarian aid. Number two. You want to get people out. We got 74 people out yesterday and hundreds from other people. They're going through the gate. Nobody's bombing the gate. And number three is you lose the hostages. The hostages move with Hamas and they regroup and they rearm. Why not let them fight their war? Now, I heard this analysis yesterday. You know, a lot more Japanese died after Pearl Harbor than died at Pearl Harbor. Guess what? When you bombed us, all bets are off. When you wanted to take Germany, I know we're at a precision weapons era. But when you took Germany, you bombed everything. Now, they weren't all Nazis. Some of them wanted to leave Germany. I'm sure innocent people died, and that's terrible. Nobody should do that. We care about that. Hamas targets them. Out of the 1,400 that died, at least 790 were civilians. Civilians. They put babies into ovens. And now we have people blocking roads in North Carolina because they say they're demanding a ceasefire. We have 30 people walking out of a lecture from Hillary Clinton because she said there should be no ceasefire. Israel has every right to wipe out Hamas, and that should be the case. They're dropping flyers to tell them to move. They're saying they're texting millions of texts out to the 2.5 million people there saying, move south. We won't hit these roads. Go. And if you know where the... If you know where the hostages are, we'll give you a reward. Do you think Hamas dropped flyers ahead of time before they took their doom buggies through the holes in the fences and their hang gliders and just assaulted 84-year-old Holocaust survivors and tore people open? I mean, you you really need to see all this video. So for the president of the United States to casually say in in a fundraiser when some rabbi, rabbi, no, I didn't misspeak, rabbi, stood up and demanded a pause or a ceasefire and go, yeah, there really should be. For what? Look, we're providing aid. We should have input, but they should make decisions. We should have input because we're experts on urban fighting in the Middle East. We should start hitting back immediately for our men and women who are sitting ducks in our 45,000 who are sitting in the region. So uh, I'm just outraged by it. So Mike Johnson spoke yesterday, the new speaker of the House, and he talked about getting aid. To Israel, $14 billion. He says we've got billions sitting to fund new IRS agents. Repurpose that. Cut 10.
10: If Democrats in the Senate or the House or or anywhere else want to argue that hiring more IRS agents is more important than standing with Israel in this moment, I'm ready to have that debate. But I, I did not uh, attach that for political purposes. OK, I attached it because, again, we're trying to get back to the principle of fiscal responsibility here. And and that was the easiest and largest pile of money that's sitting there for us to be able to pay for this immediate obligation.
4: So that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Uh, because he said this 14 billion, you need it. It passed the House. Uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't vote for it are you not for funding anything besides i don't know the wall so chuck schumer says this thing is dead in arrival cut 12.
7: the senate will not take up the house's gop's deeply flawed proposal and instead will work on our own bipartisan emergency aid package that includes aid to israel ukraine competition with the chinese government and humanitarian aid for gaza
4: I just don't know where the negotiation point is. I think we got to fund Ukraine, too. I want stipulations. I want to follow the money. I want an auditor there. I also want to get them weapons in a timely fashion, in a smart fashion, in a military-first fashion, not politics-first fashion. If you don't want time together, that's okay. Mike Johnson said, this new Speaker of the House said, I still want to do Ukraine. aid." You heard what he said to Sean Hannity. It's vital that the Russians don't win in Ukraine. So he'll get it to them. They just don't want to see it jammed together. They're tired of the omnibus thing. So are you, and so am I. We've got some time. Break it up. We'll see if there's some compromise, because everyone has the same objective, I think. Get Israel money.
3: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, the site of, I believe, most of the pro-Palestinian Hamas demonstrations, the burning of the Israeli flags. It's just sickening and stunning Uh, right here in Midtown Manhattan. Also, where they just found this guy from Senegal who was on the FBI terror list, who we let go and then had to go find, and they found him in New York City. Crazy time. Uh, we just had uh, Anthony Blinken just wrap up his press conference. Nasrallah over in Lebanon, who heads uh, uh, Hezbollah, just made a statement that he knew nothing about Hamas's October 7th act. And that was uh, an assault. uh was Palestinian. I'll give you more of that in a second. A lot of breaking news. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
6: Shame. Stop touching me! Shame. Shame. Stop touching me! Shame. 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 Do you not stand for what you Shame. believe? Why don't you want to be promised?
4: Uh That is some of the outrageous actions taking place on college campuses. That happened at Harvard. Uh, ignorant or just idiots? You call. You make the call. And the plethora of protests yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Tomorrow is supposed to be huge in Washington, D.C. All for the Palestinians and Hamas. that's sickening in America.
3: Number two. Do you believe, uh, is the United States safer from foreign terror threats today? Are we safer than when Joe Biden took office?
7: The threats are very different uh, today uh, than they were a number of years ago. They were very different today than they were three weeks ago.
4: Does he ever answer a question? The border surge not only overwhelming cities, schools, border communities, but now the FBI is alarmed about the number of high-value aliens loose in the nation.
5: Number
0: one. So a pause does not help Hamas.
5: A temporary pause that's localized, that would allow us to get aid in and to get our people out, is a good thing for the people of Gaza. It's a good thing for the Americans that are being held hostage.
4: Israel at war. Pressure to pause. Operations grow as they now have Gaza City surrounded. I say kill the pause and kill all of Hamas and do it now. Hezbollah just made an announcement. we get their game plan. We will see if this is a massive two-front war. Remember, the Houthi rebels have declared war on Israel. Uh, They got long-term rockets. They're also a bunch of criminals. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, the editor-in-chief of All Israeli News and All Arab News. He'll be joining us shortly. Admiral James Javidis at the bottom of the hour. Have you got some comments? You can just write me, com. So Nasrallah is just speaking, and it's, it's still going on it seems now. But he runs Hezbollah, which runs Lebanon, and they are considered the gold standard of terror networks. They say this, making his first speech since the Israel uh, broke out, uh, uh, the Israel-Hamas war broke out October 7th. says the October 7th operation was planned in total secrecy. Even other Palestinian factions were not privy to it let alone resistance movements abroad. The international community keeps bringing up Iran and its military plans. But the October 7th attack was a 100% Palestinian operation, planned and executed by Palestinians for the Palestinian cause. It has no relation at all to any international regional issues. Okay. If you believe the Wall Street Journal story, that they were meeting in Beirut biweekly, Beirut in Lebanon with Hamas leaders... Al-Quds Force members and Hamas, when you see the rehearsal and the execution, Hamas doesn't do that. And they should be saying Hamas. These aren't, these are, these are Palestinians. Their cause is not a two-state solution. There's no rationality to it. This is Hamas-led effort. These are Hamas. They may technically be representing Palestinians, maybe the most popular group there, but it's Hamas. So there's something about that operation. Now I'm first blush, this is my analysis. There's something about the operation is so comprehensive and massive that Israel and the hurting they're putting on Hamas right now. I think it has Hezbollah saying, uh, we don't want this fight. Because right now it's Israel unleashed. It's unleashed. It's not a some rocket's coming from Lebanon. At some point there'll be an incursion. At some point they're gonna go find our bombs and uh, our rockets in, in between Uh, in in between hospitals and suburbs, they know that Israel right now is on a war footing. And what would hit them would destroy them. And yes, you would do damage to Israel, no question. But if Israel comes after you, judging by the military analysts I've spoken to, they're going to wipe you out or or virtually destroy you. And I think on first blush, unless there's a secret left hook that nobody sees, they want to pull down the rhetoric. In order to surprise again like Hamas did, if we're to believe what they just said, it's gotta be because of the scope of this operation right now. So we'll see if we're gonna get in. Uh and I'll talk to the Admiral about that. So with the, right now, there's no aid coming into Ukraine, there's no aid coming extra aid coming into Israel, there's no aid going down to the border, and what really concerns me is Taiwan. I think this is this is an effort to string us out. I think it's concerted. Why was Vladimir Putin meeting with a special hour and a half with just translators with President Xi two weeks, three weeks ago? I mean, they looked at this and said, who's our problem? Who's stopping us? It's America. So what could get their attention? Well, it's shocking that they're having this much trouble in Ukraine two years ago. But having said that, America's got a lot of attention over in Ukraine and the, the support for the war is waning. Well, what else can we do? Well, their great friend is Israel. I don't know. Maybe it's time for Hamas to put together an operation to distract our great friend and start to tear up resources that are for that would have to be needed for both wars. Well, that works out. Hey, let's get Iran to start rocketing their bases to the point where it no longer makes sense to be in the Middle East. We don't want peace in the Middle East. We don't want America to have allies in the Middle East, everybody allied in the Middle East. And we don't want Israel to have normalized relations, even though we don't really have an axe to grind with Israel. So let's create some havoc. Next thing you know, America's got three warships, aircraft carriers, into the Persian Gulf, away from the Pacific. I think this is scripted. I'm not saying we shouldn't act, but I'm saying we should realize that we can get ahead of this. Recognize the strategy. Don't beg for a meeting like you're doing in San Francisco in two weeks. You beg for that, and you better not be taking off tariffs in order to get it. President Xi coming to San Francisco for the APEC meeting. He really wanted to do that. President Biden thinks he needs it politically. You can't tell me that things are going to be get better because of that. They got huge problems with us. They don't. We keep saying this is a competition. This isn't a rivalry. We're not enemies. They think we're enemies. So the other big challenge for this war, I just think it's a big – there's there's a script going on here. I'd love to just if – if he could speak and he could communicate on any level, you talk about a rotation of people. Get Anthony Blinken back. Pull back Jake Sullivan. They hate them. And by the way, they hate Joe, Joe Biden too. You pull back another – diplomatic team. You put forth another diplomatic team. You tell them, you send them out to all these areas. You go and reaffirm the Abraham Accords. You start laying the groundwork elsewhere. You get the faces that the people in Saudi Arabia despise out, and you get fresh set of minds in, and you talk about a grand strategy, and then you tell the American people how important it is to bolster up our armed forces because we're in the challenge of a generation. In Israel, in particular, they have a challenge on the West Bank now. Big demonstrations in support of Hamas, not of the Fatah movement that Yasser Arafat ran. Here's Richard Engel on another network, Cut 19.
0: People have to understand. So there's the Gaza Strip in the south, which is run by Hamas. Hamas is both a terrorist organization, has a military wing, but it also has a government function in that it governs the Gaza Strip. And right now, Israel is in a war to remove Hamas and destroy Hamas in Gaza. In the West Bank, which is not connected to Gaza, there is the Palestinian Authority, a far more moderate government that Israel hopes will become the the government for both the West Bank and Gaza. It's unclear if that's going to happen, but that's the idea. Within the West Bank, this separate territory, there are extremist settlers. The extremist settlers uh, live in communities, and often, particularly in these days, in this climate of of rage, they are leaving their settlements and attacking the Palestinians around them. The the government of Israeli Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu himself, formed a coalition with many of these settler leaders in order to keep himself in power, in order to form a government So he could continue to govern this country and stay in power. He's been a dominant political figure for the last 20 years. And yes, secular Israelis were saying, you are pandering to the extreme right. You are giving these people too much power. And now that government is at war. And these deep fissures in society are emerging.
4: Very well done. That's why uh, you pulled it. Uh, That just explains it. You know, there was – what Clinton was working on was a land bridge and maybe an elevator bridge. They would have gone from West Bank to Gaza. Uh, Yasser Arafat's Palestinian Authority would govern over it, and they would have aid from the West. Uh, They weren't enemies. They certainly have enemies in the East. They don't have enemies in the East, I should say, and China would have – in, and it would have been – could have thriving, integrated, to the degree they wanted, market economy. But Yasser Arafat says, yeah, if I sign this, I'm going to get assassinated because no one wants to recognize Israel, so I'm going to walk away. And Bill Clinton never forgave him. And it probably would have been a phony piece anyway because this terror network would have uh, not allowed it and this radical regime in Iran would have made sure it was undermined, much like they tried to undermine so many other governments. But that's all gone now. I I just can't believe when Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken say, we're thinking about a two-state solution – why would you ever, if you're Israel, look at a two-state solution? You have a big wall separating you, but there's no way that you could live amongst the West Bank people who want to kill you. When we come back, we're going to get a perspective uh, from Israel with the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and All Arab News, Joel Rosenberg, and then Admiral James Jarvidas, former Supreme Allied commander of NATO. Busy hour. We're following it all. Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: It's Brian Kilmeade. Fastest three hours in radio, you're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: The enemy had to retrench. They had to come down with their objectives. What is taking place in Palestine, in Gaza, my brothers and sisters, shows how arrogant and stupid and helpless the Israelis are. What are they doing? They are killing people in Gaza, children women most uh, of the martyrs are women and children
4: that is Nazarella speaking it's is is he done speaking or is this are oh, you yeah, we're just getting the translation now and Nazarella, who heads up hezbollah comes from lebanon he's the power base there looked as a hero in the region did not declare war on israel said he knew nothing about the operation before it happened joel rosenberg is the editor-in-chief of all israel news and all arab news and joins us now Joel, I know it just happened, but what's your takeaway from the Nasrallah remarks?
8: Hey, Brian, uh, good to talk to you from Jerusalem. And uh, it has been a brutal month. And uh, Sheikh Nasrallah, uh, I don't know why he gave the speech, because in many ways there's really no new information in it. But the fact is, and he sort of confirmed it. They are already at war. This idea that he might declare war uh, is, uh, is sort of a non-starter for him. He considers himself; he has been at war with us for 30 years. He is at war with us now, and he's been accelerating. Brian, that's the ch- that's the challenge. Hezbollah, uh, which is funded, armed, trained, and directed by the Iranian regime, is vastly larger and more dangerous than Hamas. And so the, the real issue that every Israeli is, is is processing right now, Brian, is when do they start shooting their 150,000 missiles, far more powerful than the rockets that Hamas has in Gaza. So we're winning in Gaza. We will win in Gaza. But nobody here believes that you can actually – we can actually be safe without defeating Hezbollah. And I'll add one other thing as we begin. Iran is at 84% enrichment, as you know, of, of uranium. They only have to get to 90 to have fully operational nuclear warheads. So most Israelis are also thinking, well, if we win in Gaza and we don't defeat Hezbollah and we don't take out the Iran nuclear sites, we're worse off than we actually were a month ago. That's, that's where we are right now. That's a
4: great point. And the thing is, too, Hezbollah must be looking at this and saying, wait, do I want this fight they are totally mobilized on a war footing. They now have rationale instead of a probe that people would say that could be avoided. Now they say, "Wait, wait a second. Do we really want this fight? Because you could uh, obviously Israel would take a pounding, but Israel should be victorious out of this uh, and could could wipe out both terror organizations. You know this this fall."
8: Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing. And we've been reporting at All Israel News, um, and I've got a TV show on TBN called The Rosenberg Report. Tomorrow night, Saturday, we've got an exclusive interview with Israel's former prime minister and defense minister, Naftali Bennett. And I pressed him on these issues because I said, you know, every Israeli that I'm interviewing, whether they're in the military or former intelligence now or former or just regular citizens, they're like, we we. We are facing literally an existential threat, worse than at any point since 1948, when seven Arab armies attacked us. But everyone here, I think, is psychologically preparing themselves, and this is what I talked to Bennett about, for the the idea that we can't just win in Gaza. No one in Israel is in doubt that we will, and we're doing a very, very good job right now, at at a high cost, admittedly, especially in their national opinion. But... You know, Brian, because you've been covering this stuff for years, Prime Minister Netanyahu believes that he came back into power after being removed by Naftali Bennett specifically to neutralize the Iran threat. And if you weren't going to do it now, when would you do it? What would be the moral justification? But, but the cost to Israel is high because Hezbollah's missiles and Iran's missiles are vastly more powerful and we will, you know, but for the grace and miracle of God, which, you know, I believe I'm an evangelical Israeli and I believe God can protect us. But you have to plan for the worst and pray for the best. But Israel could be devastated, even though we'll win.
4: I, I hear you. Uh, but you wonder how much wor- more, how much worse will it be in two years? How much worse will it be in three well, years?
8: I, exactly. Well, th- th- one of the things I spent a day uh, last week for my uh, TVN show uh, on the northern border, and again, under rocket fire, missiles, attacks, machine gun fire, it was, it was quite an experience. And every single person on that border said, we're never moving back here. If we win in Gaza and then we deescalate and, let's say, Biden or the U.N. forces a ceasefire, like, and all the tanks go home, all the troops go back to work, all the U.S. aircraft carrier strike groups off the coast yeah. go home, what are we supposed to do? Uh, Hezbollah is 50 times bigger in terms of their army, and they've already told us 10 years ago they released formally, publicly, their plan to invade and conquer the Galilee, which is the northern area of Israel, right up to the Sea of Galilee, and kill everybody that lives here. So we're never moving back unless we fight this war. And that's something I think most people in the West, even pro-Israel people in the United States, have not processed because they're thinking, let's, let's help Israel win in Gaza and then contain this thing. No Israeli thinks you can, because now we've seen the barbarism, the demonic mm-hmm. savagery. And Brian, I would say we, there's a combination of tremendous grief here, fear, but also resolve.
4: I understand. And you understand that it only lasts so long. The adrenaline and the feeling can only last so long. And you're worried a year from now you might have a, this temporary peace. But you have to look long term. Right. It's it's fascinating right. and so impactful who makes these decisions. Joel, continue to do your great work. I hope we can check in with you again.
8: Hi, please do. I'll be your Middle East correspondent here for you. that will be Thanks, awesome. Brian. Uh,
4: Admiral James Trevitas will be next. Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Back in a moment.
3: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
10: We believe that each of these efforts would be facilitated by humanitarian pauses, by arrangements on the ground that increase security for civilians and permit the more effective and sustained delivery of humanitarian assistance. Uh, That was an important area of discussion today with uh, Israeli leaders. How, when, and where uh, these can be implemented. What work needs to happen and what understandings must be reached. Now, we recognize this would take time to prepare and coordinate as well with international partners. A number of legitimate questions were raised uh, in our discussions today, including how to use any period of pause to maximize the flow of humanitarian assistance.
4: Are we talking pause? I thought humanitarian assistance was getting in. I see 74 Americans got out. I know more need to go. I was not able to understand what Admiral Kirby meant between pause and ceasefire. And was there a clear answer? Should they be fired at in a, in a pause? Can you fire back? What are the rules? Admiral James Jarvitas knows all of it. He writes the handbook for most of it. He was the 16th Supreme Allied commander at NATO, uh, currently a member of the Carlyle Group, and author of several bestsellers, his latest, uh, Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Admiral, man, the world is on fire since we last talked. First, can I ask uh. you to comment about what the Secretary of State just said about a pause? Uh, do you think we should be recommending that?
11: Uh, I think we should not be recommending or pushing a ceasefire, which is simply broad, uh, across the board, everything stops, and and it it runs until you effectively declare hostilities again. Uh, The Israelis are nowhere in position to do that. So let's take ceasefire off the table. What I I think the secretary means by a, a pause is merely something we always do on a battlefield, which is uh, stop specific operations in a particular area in order to allow humanitarian activity in that area. That's my interpretation. I see no problem with doing that. Um, You are correct, humanitarian aid is flowing in, but there may be some uh, moments when you could pause military operations in a given geography And, for example, evacuate a hospital. That would be the type of pause I would see making sense. I think the Israelis are going to do some of that, but they are certainly not going to move toward a ceasefire, nor as a military person would I recommend a ceasefire at this
4: point. The way we understand the fighting has been in in talking to General Keene today uh, and in talking to Danny Dan and the former uh, Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, he says it's face to face. And the way mm-hmm. the uh, the way Hamas is fighting is all ambushes. They'll even ambush tanks, but they don't want to square off anywhere. They don't. They're not dug in anywhere, mm-hmm. and they're most at danger when they when they when they camp, not camp out, but they they stay stationary after an operation. But they are really making great progress. Do you do you, Can you bring me inside your thoughts about the pace in which mm-hmm. they're doing this operation?
11: I think they are on task. As we would say in the military, I, I'm certain they laid out a very specific timeline. And from everything I can see, they're moving down that timeline with uh, military efficiency. And by the way, I, I credit the Israeli Defense Forces for effectively allowing two weeks for civilians to evacuate the main battle effort, which is clearly in and around the city of Gaza itself. And so, Yes, it's very dangerous work. You know, the Marines call this the three block war, like three city blocks. And uh, it is the most dangerous thing infantry can do. A point to be made here, Brian, by the way, we talk a lot about precision guided weapons, Uh, bombs typically, or missiles, and they're fairly precise. The most precision guided weapon on a battlefield is a soldier. It's an infantry uh, soldier, because that soldier knows and can look at uh, women and children not shoot and take the shot when it is a military-age male carrying a gun. Uh, So uh, the Israelis are doing the right thing, moving those foot soldiers into the battle. They will take casualties, uh, but it is a smart, on-task operation thus far. I'll close with this. Look back at the the second battle of Fallujah in Iraq. Maybe General Keane mentioned that to you. Uh, 10,000 U.S. Marines subdued a city, Fallujah, uh, about 10% of the size of Gaza. It took those Marines, the best shock troops in the world, it took them two months to do so. So this is not going to be over quickly. A lot of casualties ahead. I think the Israelis are where they want to be in the operation.
4: So... They're losing, and they expected this, in terms of the propaganda war. You have a huge demonstration. I don't know where it comes from, Admiral. Totally shocked by it. Huge Palestinian Hamas demonstration in Washington, D.C. tomorrow. You see what's happening on our college campuses. Uh, California, the whole uh, California state system. We have uh, Columbia, Harvard, Yale, NYU, major pro-Palestinian moments. Apologies from presidents that don't really cut it. How do you explain this generation that doesn't seem to understand who our allies are in the area and who the good guys are?
11: Yeah, and I'll just add to it uh, that they seem unable to understand the difference between Hamas butchering innocent civilians and Israeli defense forces doing everything they can to avoid civilian casualties. It really is a a, a terrible false equivalency. And so where does it come from? It comes from um, a a culture that's baked into higher education. I spent uh, five years, as you know, as dean of a law school, the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. So I witnessed this. And it is a a false moral equivalency that simply uh, denigrates what Israel has done and accomplished and seeks to do. And, And sure, I'm a supporter of a two-state solution. I think the Palestinians need a state that should be negotiated between Israel and the Palestinians. But this idea that Israel should be protested against for undertaking very appropriate self-defense operations in Gaza is nonsense, and we need to continue to drive that home on our college campuses.
4: Nazarela just spoke. Uh, here's a little through a translator. Do we have that? Here's a little of what he said. This guy runs Hezbollah, and this guy would have 150,000 rockets, obviously, and he has a more formidable force, and here's, here's what he said.
7: The enemy had to retrench. They had to come down with their objectives. What is taking place in Palestine, in Gaza, my brothers and sisters, shows How arrogant and stupid and helpless the Israelis are. What are they doing? They are killing people in Gaza. Children, women, most of the martyrs are women and children.
4: You went on to say the U.S., we have plans for your ships. If you attack us, uh, we'll attack you. Uh, You lost in Afghanistan, you lost in Iraq, uh, and you're about to lose again. So that was part of the rhetoric that he spewed out. But he did not declare war. And he said he was caught totally by surprise. We all were caught by surprise by October 7th. Uh, I just wanted to get your th- your
5: thoughts. A
11: ton of bluster. Um, he knows there are not one but two U.S aircraft carriers less than 100 miles from southern Lebanon. That would be USS Eisenhower, USS Gerald R. Ford, uh, 160 combat aircraft between them. There's 2,000 Marines in USS Bataan. There are five additional fighter squadrons in the Middle East. He knows if he starts unloading those missiles on Israel, uh, the U.S. will come into this and will destroy Uh, a great deal of his infrastructure. So what you're gonna hear from him, and let's recall, Brian, his speech was not written in Lebanon, his speech was written in Tehran by the Ayatollahs, that rotten theocracy that have created this creature, Hezbollah. And uh, at the end of the day, he's gonna bluster, he's gonna uh, make a lot of false pronouncements Um, including, by the way, I don't think we lost the war in Iraq. I think we lost in Afghanistan because we quit. But in Iraq, we still are operating alongside Iraqis uh, and have a a good relationship with Iraq, and we're done with Saddam Hussein and his psychopathic sons. What part of that is a defeat exactly? I don't see. Uh, In any event, his speech is shot with falsehoods, and it's a lot of hot air.
4: So right now, the, uh, we're looking at a situation where our guys and 2,500 in Iraq. We have uh, 900 in Syria, 45,000 in the region have been hit at least 10 times since we hit the weapons depot in Syria and 29 times since October 17th. And we've done nothing but, uh, but we have uh, protecting ourselves with some type of uh, missile shield. So what would you do if you if you could send a message to, number one, to protect our guys? Number two, you know these Iranian militias that are behind it.
11: I think it is time for the president to receive a list of options from the Pentagon for uh, responses to these attacks. And they need to be proportional. That means we don't uh, flatten downtown Tehran. But I think if you start working up a ladder of options, it would probably include cybersecurity attacks that go after the Iranian economy. It would ultimately include uh, missile strikes, Reaper drone strikes against Iranian proxies operating in the field against our troops. It might very well include going after targets with Hezbollah. It could include more active U.S. military response uh, alongside Israel. And if Iran still doesn't get the message, then it's time to go after Iranian uh, actual installations, looking at, just to throw out an idea, Iranian platforms in the Arabian Gulf, Iranian naval vessels operating uh, at sea, Iranian naval bases. And Brian, We've already done that. We did that in 1989, Operation Praying Manus. Um, Iran needs to understand that there is a point where we will use military force directly against Iran. We're not there yet, would probably work up that ladder I just described, but it's time we got after it.
4: Should we be in, on that ladder by now?
11: Yes, in my view, we should, um, particularly given the attacks on our troops. Uh, Troops are being injured. A contractor died of a medical condition. Um, Iran needs to get a message here. And I think it's time to start moving up that ladder. President has some hard decisions ahead.
4: Admiral, I I understand messaging and you want to escalate. But when Secretary Austin came out and said, we're getting hit in the region, has nothing to do with Israel. We've always been there. And that's the problem we're having separate from what's going on in Israel. Nobody believes that. I mean, they're saying these Iranian militias, they formed an alliance since (laughs) since since October 7th.
11: No disagreement here. And Lloyd Austin is a a dear friend of mine and I think a highly competent general and is doing an excellent job as secretary of defense. I just disagree with him. I think that in this case, we are seeing linkages and all of this is being orchestrated from Tehran. Uh, You don't have to be John le Carré writing a novel to figure that out. Uh, This is coming from Tehran, and therefore our responses need to be headed toward the Iranians, not just against uh, lower levels of their organization. So
4: if the the fact that we haven't hit yet isn't his decision, is what you're saying, from what you know about this administration, can you let me know what would be the decision tree?
11: It would uh, follow a continuous set of attacks. As you point out, there have been a series of those. We have responded to those um, in proportional fashion, but they're continuing. And so the point is, uh, as the administration looks at the continuing number of attacks, and particularly if US troops are, are wounded or, God forbid, killed, then I think you need to be moving up that ladder. And by the way, We have plenty of back-channel communication with the Iranians. And I would hope uh, that the administration is exercising those options as well to simply say it's unacceptable to continue to command active-duty soldiers operating in the field, whether it is in Iraq, in Syria, uh, in Bahrain, in El Udid in Doha. As you know, we're all over that region. Uh, Iran needs to understand we will protect our forces.
4: Yeah, that would be great. Uh, that's the only thing they do understand. Uh, we were, were so worried about escalating. We don't get the weapons to the Ukrainians in time and we don't allow our guys to be uh, to protect themselves in region. I know you get this all the time. But I've gotten about five separate letters. The latest one came in the mail from people who are on these bases, and they feel so helpless. in the Al-Assad base, as these rockets come in, they also said that they have friends in Kuwait, and rockets have come their direction in Kuwait. I mean, that looks – I've been there. It looks like you're on the side of the moon. It's in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. the helpless feeling of our guys just sitting there wondering, you know, is today going to be my day, and am I going to be able to, you know, to use my training?
11: Without question, uh, you are correctly communicating the way in which our troops feel. I I think I would categorize it less of helplessness and more of want to get into the fight. And they want to see Air Force fighters overhead. They want to see missiles going back. They want to see Navy Tomahawk coming off our destroyers and cruisers. They want to see... Our aircraft responding to this, uh, they're in a fight. They're in a hard fight with the Islamic State alongside our partners, the Iraqis, where we didn't lose the war. And uh, that's going quite well. Uh, but Iran needs to back off because they that's are, it. would say in the Navy, standing into danger.
4: I feel a lot better if you were in there, Admiral. If they call you, you have to go. <laughs> Admiral James Sarabinus, thanks so much. <laughs>
11: I don't think they're going to get quite that desperate to get a 60-year-old admiral back into the fight, but uh, but I'm always game,
4: Brian. I know you are. Uh, Thanks so much, Admiral. Have a great weekend. Uh, Back in a moment.
3: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Mm. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: This is when we need to have Israel's back. Israel is not asking for U.S. troops. It's not asking for U.S. intervention. It's asking for the political support, the financial support, and where necessary, the
11: the military supply to be able to go in and restore deterrence. I mean, I think the Biden administration's approach, this sort of slow walking away from support, you know, just as the incursion is about to start, uh, in earnest is exactly what what israel doesn't need and it's exactly how we shouldn't be treating an ally that's willing and able to take care of its own security we should be demonstrating not only to israel but to the indias the Polands, the south koreas maybe the taiwans of the world that this is how we you know stand behind allies that are willing to
10: really go the mile to to defend themselves in what is very a, a very just cause
4: yeah, Elbridge Colby, former uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense under President Trump, uh, thinks you've got to get all behind Israel. I do too, but here's where we're different. Uh, Bridge Colby also does not want to support Ukraine. What he just described is the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians just say, give me the weapons we know how to fight. Give us the weapons. We'll make them more potent than they are. If you give me the attackums enough that I could really back off the Russians. We finally gave them the attackums, 14. Not the best. We gave them some. Gave them the Highmars. Gave them the Patriots. So with the, uh, with the Israelis, they have a lot. They know how to use a lot. They invent a lot. They co-produce a lot, especially with missile defense. So we just got to get it to them in order for them to survive and let them be prepared for a three-front war. Also, it was brought up by Joel Rosenberg earlier. Is this the time to take out Iran's nuclear facility before they fully weaponize? Evidently, they're at 85% and just need 90 enrichment.
3: News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmead.
4: Hi everyone, welcome to one of the last hours of a very busy week and so much going on today. Press conference from Anthony Blinken from uh, Nasrallah, who is in charge of Hezbollah. Uh, kind of a mixed message there, but doesn't look like an invasion's is imminent. But we did cite 19 separate attacks from Hezbollah over in the north. And we have the ground war well underway, surrounding a total—I uh, understand Gaza City is totally surrounded. So we'll bring you the latest from the front lines and when Anthony Blinken is urging behind the scenes. So before we get to Shannon Bream and Lady Abatia Ungar-Sargon of Newsweek, let's get to the Big Three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number
5: three. Jane, stop touching
6: Stop
4: touching it! Do you not stand for what you believe? Why don't you want to be filmed? Uh, there you go. Uh, people starting to rip down pictures of the hostages and getting not liking it. They're being taped, and you're seeing it all. Ignorant or just idiots? You make the call after the plethora of pro- protests yesterday, today, and tomorrow in D.C. All for the Palestinian slash Hamas.
3: Number two. Do you believe, uh, is the United States safer from foreign terror threats today,
10: Are we safer than when Joe Biden took office? The threats are
7: very different uh, today uh, than they were a number of years ago. They were very different today than they were three weeks ago. Do
4: you ever get the sense he doesn't want to answer any questions? The border surge, not only overwhelming cities and schools, but now the FBI is alarmed about the number of high-value alien, high-volume aliens, value aliens uh, in the nation, a couple of which are just loose. We lost them.
0: Number one.
5: a so pause does
0: not help Hamas.
5: A temporary pause that's localized, that would allow us to get aid in and to get our people out, is a good thing for the people of Gaza. It's a good thing for the Americans that are being held hostage.
3: That is
4: Admiral Kirby not telling the truth. Israel at war. Pressures to pause. Operations grows as they now have Gaza City surrounded. I say uh, kill the pause and kill all of Hamas. Now, as Hezbollah announced, Uh, They are watching everything but knew nothing of the game plan before October 7th. Well, the problem is, Shannon Bream, as you anchor at Fox News Sunday, gets set for your big show on Sunday, the problem is that Wall Street Journal report and some others that say they were all part of the planning, and Hamas has never been able to execute like this, and they think it had to come, if that Wall Street Journal story is true, from biweekly meetings and drills in Iran, Five hundred as well as in Beirut, where mm-hmm. Hezbollah is. So we are doing press conferences today. Nasrallah didn't say, I'm fighting, but he's warning Israel not to fight, them, fight him.
12: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and saying he's not scared by U.S. warships in the region, we're not scared of you, and saying, you know, it kind of all depends on what happens in the Gaza Strip. Well, Israel's not going to stop fighting there. They're not going to pull out. They've said the only possible even pause they'd consider is to get hostages out, but otherwise forget it. So, you know, if Hezbollah's saying, oh, if you keep fighting in Gaza, then I'm going to have to come after Israel, that doesn't sound very promising because I don't think anybody short of the psychos wants this to extend to another front.
4: But we're going out of the way not to even defend ourselves when rocketed. You find that stunning?
12: Uh, what I find interesting is is the very belabored explanation that what we're doing with that is not connected to the Israel Hamas war because listen those Iranian proxies the state or excuse me defense department's been very clear they're the ones who are behind these attacks on our soldiers, our interests in Iraq and Syria. We have fired back at one point, but again, the language that was used was saying this is wholly separate and apart, a different conflict from what's going on in Israel and Hamas but most people see a lot of threads that involve Iran they involve Russia. And in some places they o- o- involve China. I mean, there are a lot of bad actors who want to to go after Israel when they thought maybe that it was weak with their internal right. divisions. And many of them feel the same way about the U.S.
4: Well, we know that the president's indicating that he wants a pause. Uh, as General Keene told me this morning, and I know, you know, we are getting humanitarian aid in. We mm-hmm. are getting people out. We got 74 out yesterday. We got about 400 to go or 350 to go. Here's what Anthony Blinken said that stood out.
10: Uh, Partners throughout the Middle East and beyond have a critical role to play in averting escalation, and that will be a major focus of my conversations throughout this trip. Second, we need to do more to protect Palestinian civilians. We've been clear that as Israel conducts its campaign to defeat Hamas, how it does so matters. It matters because it's the right and lawful thing to do. It matters because failure to do so plays into the hands of Hamas, and other terror groups.
4: All right, we got it. So he's saying, I'm recommending we do more for civilians. He didn't say definitely Mm -hmm. a pause, but but we're going to get the reports behind the scenes that there's pressure to pause. I don't think the Israelis should pause. Hillary Clinton doesn't think the Israelis should pause. (laughs)
12: Right. that's an interesting. When you when you look at um, who's lined up together, people have actually had to deal with this. And she was Secretary of State. She gets it um, that these are not good actors who are going to give you anything helpful. We know that Hamas is still firing. You know, Trey Yangst and all of our reporters. They are doing an amazing job. They're standing there saying there's Hamas is still firing rockets. So why in the world would you pause if they're still firing into Israeli territory? Um, and uh, you know, like Netanyahu said, we're not. There's not even a conversation of a pause unless it's to get hostages out. Otherwise just stop. We're not talking about this. These people have, you know, become an existential threat to us. Mm -hmm. They want Israel gone and wiped off the map. They don't want a two state solution. The terrorist group, Hamas, wants Israel to not exist. And so how can you tell another country, yes, you know, we've used a lot of language in all the White House press releases and everything else we've seen. Abide by the laws of war. Uh, You know, and Israel, you've heard them out there. I mean, they're talking about we try to be as precision like as possible. We don't want to kill civilians because that's not our aim, but also we know we're going to get blamed for it. And so they say that they're trying to be as, as precise as they can be and that we all know that Hamas hides behind civilian targets. That's just a fact.
4: It, it is a fact. So I asked General Keene this morning about what not what Nassarela was capable of and how the fight has been going. Cut 16.
6: Now that they have the city surrounded, they're going to clear in the city and go slow in doing that. Certainly the focus is where Hamas is hiding, and that mm-hmm. is in the tunnel complexes. They're not likely to go in those tunnel complexes and fight them in there. That, that gives an advantage to Hamas. But there's much they can do. Mm. Uh, they can send robots in to dismantle the, the IEDs and the mines. You know, they can put smoke in, and gas to force them out of there. There's a number of issues. They can block some of those uh, tunnel complexes, just seal them up, and force the fighters out.
4: But well, the problem is if that's where the hostages could be. Uh, mm-hmm. that would, that's the big challenge.
12: Yeah. There are no easy answers. Every time we talk about about this, we say that. I mean, I I literally pray every day for wisdom for leaders around the world, ours and Israel's and everybody who's potentially drawn into this and have interest in the region, because there are no easy answers. Of course, everybody who is a good person, a decent person, wants the hostages out, and they want civilians protected as much as possible. And sometimes those things are going to be in conflict, as Kirby has said. War is ugly, and there will be civilian casualties. And nobody wants that, but it Mm. is a byproduct of war, which... Is
4: horrendous. So, Shannon, uh, we had uh, Ronald McDaniel in here earlier. They're set to debate again on Wednesday. If you're not on the debate stage, you're really done. No one's really bounced off after missing that. But it looks like Tim Scott qualified and you can't rule out Governor Burgum yet. Mm-hmm. So what's changed this time? I mean, you're going to have NBC doing it, but mm-hmm. you do have you you on on this.
12: Well, I think what's interesting is that Nikki Haley is showing real momentum. It's been gathering. She's always liked the debates. You know, we, we had her on Fox News Sunday, but right before the first one, and it was like, you know she likes these. She feels very comfortable there on policy or anything else, and she feels like it's a place that she shines. So she was the first person to get in in a real way um, early in this whole race, and she's willing to go to every Elk's Lodge, every town hall, everything that she can do. Yeah. So you combine that willingness to do that, the real groundwork in all of these different states, because she's not currently holding holding a position. She's not governor. She can do those things um, with the way that she feels about the debate stage, which is completely comfortable. Um, you know, and donors have been shifting their money. And the poll shows that, um, you know, she's in a very good position going into this debate. And so I think, you know, she's got a lot of pressure on her and um, she her team feels like they'll be up to the expectations next week.
4: All right. So who's going to be on your show?
12: We've got Speaker Mike Johnson with us exclusively to talk about this fight over Israel funding. Oh, and by the way, we're running out of government funding in 14 days. How does he navigate all this stuff? And, you know, people questioning whether he's going to be able to be the fundraiser that Republicans expect out of their speaker. He's got a lot uh, on his plate. We've also got Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. You know there are a lot of statewide uh, kind of these off-year elections next week on certain referendums. In Ohio, it's abortion and pot. Um, But Virginia and Kentucky and Mississippi, other places, have really important elected uh, positions. That are up too. So we're going to look ahead to um those elections next week.
4: That sounds great. We're going to watch you on Fox News Sunday. First, you're going to watch One Nation at nine, right?
12: Saturday night appointment viewing.
4: Yeah, there you go. Uh you know the Palestinian it. protests will be big. And then we'll be we'll be set for Sunday. It's Sunday night also. My book, Teddy and Booker T comes out. And, I'm so uh, excited uh, to have spe- my
12: copy right here in front of me.
4: Oh, you did. Thank you. I, I went yes, into office. Can I
12: tell you can I tell people how you signed it? Hold how, on. A how minute. did I sign it? remember you probably didn't even actually sign it oh that's me well someone who forged your signature wrote this to shannon the world's best person slash anchor um slash lawyer brian kill me 2023
4: that's what i believe
12: (laughs) you don't believe you wrote it but no 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 it's me
4: but i can't remember i did mail out a lot of them
12: shannon well listen when you sign millions of your best sellers things get lost sometimes
4: but no one could buy it yet until tuesday
12: I've got it, though. People contact right. me if you want. So Sunday, there's
4: know. a special if you want to watch the book on. Yes,
12: I'm excited about that.
4: Yeah, so it would be good. What am I going to learn? About Teddy and Booker T, how they came together to make America a better place.
12: Did you interview either of them? Because otherwise.
4: But I got close. Great <laughs> grandson and great granddaughter.
12: I love that. Actually, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see it.
4: Shannon, go get him. Okay, bye. All right. And by the way. Uh, so you can go get Teddy and Booker T and pre-order it. I'm also going to be uh, on stage talking about everything. a Patriotic, motivational, inspirational afternoon and evening, I should say, at the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey. And they'll be in Ponte Vedra the next day, November 10th. So the 9th is the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey. Start driving out if you don't live close. Some tickets are left. With every ticket, you get a book in Ponte Vedra, WOKV. Then I'm going over to the Villages on the 11th then to Vero Beach on the 12th. Back to work. Over to Connecticut in Madison, Connecticut on November fourteenth, uh, and then we go to the Patriot Awards. I'll uh, we'll be signing at the Patriot Awards. You got to go, and then Brentwood, Tennessee, right after, and then we're gonna just pick it up from there. Just BrianKillme It's all there. Some of them you need to make reservations, and others you need to get tickets. But it's gonna be fun. We need some good news, and these two guys are great men. Uh, you listen to the Brian Me show. Your calls next. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine and your comments. Don't move.
3: You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: When it is stated that this operation is to serve Iran's. State, interests in the area. This is all a fabrication, the Al-Aqsa flood. By Palestinian decision and by Palestinian execution, I tell you that the fact that we were not aware of it, that I was not aware of it, it was purely Palestinian.
4: So that is Nasserella of the Hezbollah fame uh, saying, no idea this thing was going to happen. Not aware of it. It was a total Hamas operation, Palestinian operation. So don't look at me. Interesting. You wonder why he did it. Maybe because there was pressure. I have no idea about Lebanese politics or terror uh, politics. You wonder why he felt compelled to come out since he didn't threaten anybody really except for saying some ridiculous things about us. So, but they've already rocketed Israel 19, 25, I think 30 times. So they are, I think they yesterday hit the Sheba farms. Also, a note just came across the Israel has stopped warning Syria about their terror strikes when they go in. So, you know, in Syria, it's just basically a mess, worse than ever. So Iran is able to have their militias trained there. Hezbollah has got a huge presence there. Anytime Israel feels threatened or something's consolidating, metastasizing, they'll go in and just take it out. Now, there's one reason, one of the key reasons why they never really got involved in supporting Ukraine's effort to fight off Russia was because Russia was giving the a wink and a nod in Syria saying, yeah, I know, don't hit us, but we understand you want to blow up those terrorists. Go ahead and do it. Now, basically, Russia says, uh, we broke up with you, Israel. We no longer really support you. You have no reason to fight back. You should have a ceasefire. We don't like the idea of you hitting another nation, which is a joke. So having said that, Israel says, okay, now I'm going to check in with anyone. I'm going to start bombing. And I think you've got to get back to that mindset. Even though it's not 1945 anymore, the reason why we won that war is because we said, you hit us, now we wipe you out. And don't worry about public opinion Two years later. They didn't have social media. Everybody knows that. But don't worry about it. I want to give you a sense of the protest on the streets. Tomorrow's going to be a big, wild scene. Uh, they're going to, on Saturday, they're going to go in there, and they're going to have a big, a big demonstrations in Washington, and they're all going to be clueless and ridiculous. But here is, um, here's um, a, uh, I want you to hear this piece. So Hamas is a brutal organization that hates gays, uh, hates gays, will throw them off roofs. You have, do you think there's trans, you don't think there's enough trans rights here? Uh, if they'll just kill you on the spot with Hamas. So listen to this exchange, Cut 26.
0: Doing a, a quick petition to help Hamas free Palestine. Uh, you're all in. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh yeah, you're in. Easy. I just have to read terms and conditions, just so okay. you know you know what you're signing. Okay. By supporting Hamas freeing Palestine, you agree to the following. You agree that every Jew, Christian, and non-Muslim in the world must be slaughtered. I don't know about that one. You endorse making homosexuality punishable by jail or death. Oh, oh
3: no, no, I
10: don't.
0: You don't agree with that? You believe Iran should use Palestinians as puppets to spread radical jihad and destroy the West? No? No. I'm glad I read the uh, terms of yeah. agreements. You support strict Sharia law which bans women from showing their knees, hair, playing sports in
4: public, not being able to travel without a man's permission. I'm sorry, I'm not, not interested? Oh, okay. That is what Hamas believes, and this guy is genius. Okay, you oh yeah, Hamas is the best. Let me just give you an idea of what they're about, because people don't educate themselves at all. And if more people knew about that, you think they'll be showing up in Washington, D.C., uh, causing a massive unrest in Harvard, Yale, Columbia, NYU, Hunter, maybe your school? So listen to this Jewish student who was on America Report yesterday. Give you an idea what it's like uh, being Jewish in New York right now on that campus. Cut, cut 27.
2: Being a Jew at NYU right now is, is, is scary. Uh, we're seeing an uptick in anti-israel protests that are turning anti-semitic. There are signs that read uh, uh, globalize the Intifada, which is a historical call for the extermination of Jews and call for violence against Jews. Mm -hmm. Um, These are not calls for peace, they are calls for violence, they are calls for the blood of Jews to be spilled. Um, We are hearing chants of gas the Jews, uh, of Hitler was right. Um, And as the granddaughter of, of Holocaust survivors, these statements being thrown around so carelessly and thoughtlessly uh, are extremely harmful. And the spreading of misinformation as well uh, contributed both by students and of faculty members.
4: Yeah. So that's it. NYU. That's what it's like. One day, it's no problem in New York. Big Jewish population. Long Island, big Jewish population. The next day, you have to feel you're getting knocked around on campus. Also, there's this video out, and I just saw it. I'll try to explain it as best I can. This Jewish kid walking across campus at this horrible place called Harvard. Do you know Harvard's law editor assaulted a Jewish student himself one-on-one? And just because the guy was, I guess he is of Arab descent, and he starts beating up this kid on campus yelling, shame, shame on you. This guy is editor of the Harvard Law. He was a standout student at undergrad in Stanford. And now he's beating up. Kids on campus who happen to be Jewish, who would ever hire this guy? I'll talk about that when we get back too. We come back, Batia Ungar sargon a lot of major law firms are saying if I find out that you were participating in these pro Hamas protests, you're either fired or never gonna be hired. You listen to the Brian me show.
3: His mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Every
0: time I see those signs, you know what I do?
3: I rip them down. I love Hamas. I think Hamas.
7: Oh, you love a terrorist Israel organization.
13: Interesting. Harvard Square, everyone. I think Hamas should blow Harvard
0: Israel. I think they're all dirty, dirty animals. And that's, and not so- so? that's not anti Semitism. That's not
13: anti Semitism.
0: They should be all exterminated.
13: Thank you. Every
0: single one of them. All and right. their kids, their mothers, their children, everybody. Just
8: hard like hard Thank say. you for approving our Six, point. Have a lovely night. Line up. Racist
4: in Harvard. There you go, Harvard Square. Aren't you glad you didn't go? Couldn't even get in. Many of us can't. But now, who'd want to go? If you if you if you got that intellect and you got those grades and you got those SAT scores, you got those recommendations. Why would you go there? Bati Unger Sargon joins us now. Uh, She's a a deputy opinion editor of Newsweek. She's also over our channel. Bhatia, I just wanted to bring some of the campus to light for our listeners. I know it's much more visual, but that's what's been happening, uh, uh, especially in this city, in New York City.
13: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, Brian, thank you so much for having me. And thank you, I I just have to say this every time as a Jewish person, I thank you so much for your moral clarity in this moment. Um, We all watch your show. We all watch with the honesty with which you bring to this topic. And I just cannot thank you enough. God bless you and everybody that you care about and this great nation. Um, You know, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's gone to Harvard, but they do this very annoying thing, which is you ask them like, if it comes up, like where do you go to college, they'll say, they go like this, they'll say, Oh, yeah, somewhere in Cambridge, as if like we can't handle the word Harvard, right? As if we're all supposed to be so intimidated by the word Harvard. They really do this. Like they all do this as if the word Harvard is so intimidating, we won't be able to keep talking to them. But now what I hope will happen is they will say it because they're embarrassed to admit where they went, because it's not just this random person. There was a video that came out of the editor of the Harvard Law Review, Brian, literally physically assaulting a Jewish student who happened to walk through their pro-Palestine rally, the editor of the Harvard Law Review. These are the people who are allegedly the elite, the cream of the crop, and they are out there pushing Hamas talking points. They cannot tell right from wrong. This is what it means to be part of the American leftist elites. These universities don't exist to educate anymore, Brian. They exist to perpetuate elite class belonging and the way that they do that is by coming up with ways to justify terrorism that's how you show that you're part of the leftist elites today and everybody can see it now every good American can see it
4: It's, uh, but it's not stopping you know you think a lot of it's highlighting I'm I'm enjoying the pushback uh, in many ca- cases but tomorrow Saturday there's going to be a huge demonstration protest or a show of support for the Palestinians in Washington D.C. I'm, I find this stunning.
13: You know, I, I, it, it, when you see 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people gathered, it looks like a lot. But honestly, Brian, in a country of 350 million, let them have their protest because the American people know what's right. I saw a poll the other day. They asked Americans— who is responsible for civilian casualties in Gaza? You will not believe the answer. Just 13% said Israel, said Israel. Just 13%, Brian, said Israel is responsible for civilian casualties in Gaza. 63% of Americans said Hamas is responsible, which is, of course, the correct answer. And the rest said, we don't know enough to say, which is also a totally reasonable answer. So I, I was so heartened by that, Brian. Yeah. People are following. People know the American people side with what is good and what is right and what is just.
4: So America's largest law firms penned a letter to Ivy League schools warning them that they will not hire anti-Semites as uh, when they get in the workplace. Uh, They said they won't be tolerated. It was a letter addressed to uh, deans. About two dozen of the nation's top Wall Street firms warned that what took place on just taking place on campus very well uh, could have corporate consequences. And we know about donors backing out, people being upset by it. We know at the University of Pennsylvania, especially that's what's going to wake people up because you have a whole generation who thinks they understand a very uh, a complex situation. But it's so obvious. October 10th, 7th, should have galvanized people for Israel, for the Jewish community. In some cases, it just brought out their enemies. But you're trying to say to everybody, don't ever emphasize the anti-Semitism. It's only in pockets.
13: 100 percent, 100 percent. For every person tearing down a sign, there are just, just, thousands and thousands of people who find that absolutely disgusting, abhorrent. The truth is coming out. The wokelash clash is in full force right now. I find that the American people are truly uniting around Israel. They're uniting around the Jewish people. And yes, there's some pockets of anti-Semitism, but look, we are not weak people. We have stood up to much worse things than the editor of the Harvard Law Review screaming at the top of his lungs, okay? we don't have to be afraid of this. You know, I'll tell you another story. I was in an airport um, a, a couple weeks ago. Right after this happened, I wear a big Jewish star, and there was a, a group of people that were waiting to board a flight um, to, that was going to Egypt. There was a, a woman in a hijab and a group of men, and she saw my star, and she started screaming at me, Palestine will be free. And I sort of chuckled to myself because I thought, you know, well, not if Egypt has anything to say about it, right? You're going to the place that actually wants Palestine to be free even less than Israel, right? Um, But I also thought to myself, you know what? This woman is leaving our country. She had a very heavy, thick accent. She's clearly not American. And you know what? Let her go to Egypt. Let her be happy there. That's just not how... You know, the American people feel about it. And if somebody wants to scream in my face and demand that I answer for Israel, I'm happy to do that. You know what? This is America. What makes America the greatest country on earth is it has always been good to the Jews, and it has free speech protections. And those things go hand in hand, Brian. We cannot embrace the safetyism of the universities and suggest that Jewish students are quaking and can't stand up for themselves. They can and they should.
4: Well, I mean, people just watch what the Army's doing now. Uh, taking on sometimes face-to-face combat and going to surrounding Gaza City, and the whole country serves for two years, men and women. So you can't say, well, that's just the military. Everybody's a the military. And then the reserves come up. you got 600,000 people uh, ready to fight, so that, that, I think that's indicative. And you see 1,000 people in New York alone that, that have decided to go back and fight for the IDF. I think that's pretty awesome
13: yeah yeah very proud of the community right now um I, I think that israel is is finally united after a very divisive period. And you love to see it. I mean, just the unity that's coming out of the country right now. I mean, it's horrific what had to what had to make happen to make that happen. I was thinking a lot about it because Yom Kippur was just a few weeks ago, and I prayed so hard that the Jewish people and America would find some kind of unity and overcome our divisions. And look what it took to make that happen. But we should really take—we should learn a lesson from Israel without having to go through what they went through, that we must unify around the values of this great nation and not allow the elites to divide. Divide us, we are more united than we are divided
4: uh, that's true. So what column are you working on what what angle are you you pushing
13: well I, I have a hope I believe I have a piece coming out with Barry Weiss um, at the Free Press about all of this about what it means to be a Jewish American today and why we need to not be afraid and why we need to be proud mm-hmm. of being you know people who answer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and not be not not quake in the face of these leftist uh, sociopaths.
4: Right. Um, Some of which are in the Jewish community. They just don't seem to like Israel. Have you noticed that other people you've always been open? You watch all channels. Have you noticed other American Jews watching Fox more? Because we're getting that.
13: Oh, yes, absolutely. I think people have been extremely disappointed in CNN and MSNBC. Um, I was saying to an Israeli friend the other day, I feel that even the BBC, which is known to be anti-Israel, is better than CNN at this point. It's very hard to watch. Um, I certainly take a lot of comfort in in watching Fox. A lot of Jewish Americans are waking up and saying, my gosh, like, I I didn't realize how much— Anti-Semitism there was on the left, although I sort of feel like, were you living under a rock? I mean, like what? and of course there are, you know, a very tiny percentage of of the Jewish community who is anti-Zionist, who are being held up as tokens by the squad so they can pretend that they're not anti-Semitic and say, here, look, I have my Jewish friend who's also anti-Zionist, so I'm not an anti-Semite. Of course they are. (laughs) Of course it's still anti-Semitic. And of course the rhetoric coming out of that caucus is deeply, deeply disturbing. Having two Jewish friends who are also anti-Zionist, Sorry, that's not a cover for you. That's tokenism, and it's gross.
4: Yeah, and now uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting time because we have Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who evidently behind closed doors was telling the prime minister we need a pause. I don't understand why you need a pause because people are still getting out, and humanitarian aid is still getting in. Uh, Does that worry you, that the Democrats will feel as though they're losing the Muslim vote when the president stands up for Israel and they'll start equivocating, get wobbly, so to speak?
13: My my read on Blinken and Biden at this moment is that um, they want their their top priority is getting the American hostages out. Uh, um, that is not Israel's top priority right now. Their top priority is decimating Hamas. And of course, those things are in tension with each other. Israel's trying to smoke Hamas out. They're stuck in those tunnels. And if they have a ceasefire, they can come out of those tunnels, they can get air, they can get food. Right now, they're stuck down there. They're trapped like rats. And so Israel does not want to let up the pressure because they want to destroy Hamas. Whereas I think the Biden administration thinks there's Americans there. Let's give them this pause. Let's get those Americans out. So those, that's my reading of the situation. I think both are noble causes. I understand where both sides are coming from. I honestly, Brian, I think that President Biden looked at this situation and said he's willing to to lose the 2024 election to do the right thing right now. And I think that was very noble of him. I don't know if this is going to save him. Um, I I still think a lot of American Jews are looking at President Trump and saying, well, look, this was the guy who got us the Abraham Accords. And then looking at Biden and saying, this is the guy who gave the money to Iran. And that's going to play a big role. But I I do think that Biden deserves a lot of credit for for how he stood by Israel, despite the anti-Semitic
4: caucus um that he has to deal with right uh we'll see i've never thought i saw such uh, saw such uh i would see such divide in the democratic party i mean they have the yeah. squad and beyond that are just uh cannot believe how pro-israel the president is right now but you know that he and netanyahu don't get along so they're talking multiple times a day so my hope is that american politics don't affect the military actions of israel final thought batia
13: Yeah, I mean, you know, Netanyahu has his own reckoning coming. Um, The Israelis feel very, very betrayed by him, and um, I think rightfully so. But, of course, that's not our business. That's their business. They're a sovereign nation, and God bless them.
4: But do you think that he's going to survive this? Is he going to finish out this campaign before he even has a chance to discuss what happened on October 7th?
13: Historically in Israel, they stand by their leader at a time of war, no matter what. I don't know if he's going to make it through. A lot of people, I think, rightly blame him for the security failure. I mean, it was just so epic. Um, and there's a lot of rage at him. So, I mean, the, the, you know, that's the country is very united, but I think they're sort of united in their um, deep, deep disappointment with their leader. And so we'll, we'll see what happens.
4: All right, uh, Bhatia, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, pick up Newsweek. She's a deputy opinion editor. Bhatia Unger-Sargon. Stay safe, Bhatia.
13: God bless you, Brian.
4: All right, go get him. When we come back, we'll wrap up this uh, we'll wrap up this hour. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move.
3: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade show.
4: Tuskegee University. This is where Booker T. Washington began his quest to become a national and global figure. He was named president of this institution. It wasn't nearly this nice. This is 3,500 students. Now, the original building was about a mile down the road. It had a leaky room. And he had no students, he had no teachers, and no funding. He had to change that in 10 days. Now, on July 4th, 1881, the 25-year-old did just that.
6: He founded Tuskegee on the
1: same principles he learned from Hampton, and that was on the head, the hand, and the heart, and the head being academics. He knew that that was foremost important for these former slaves and their descendants. The heart was character strength and service, and the hand
6: was hard work. When he got to Tuskegee, He went into the rural districts to explore the life of the people and discover their needs, and what he saw surprised even him. They were not only unable to read and write at the time, but some didn't even know how to use a toothbrush.
4: So that is uh, the great granddaughter of Booker T. Washington, and we also have the great grandson Tweed Roosevelt. And I just wanted to talk about Teddy and Booker T. Uh, these two American icons blaze a path to racial equality, and just talked about in a time in which America was very much divided. In the South, separate but equal, separate schools can't play baseball together. You can't go to the same school. You can't. Uh, uh, you can't go in the same area. They were totally separate, living two separate lives. Uh, and the North was much better. But coming up and together after the Civil War, you needed people to lead the way. What about a white president born to affluence? And what about uh, a black man born to slavery? And they both rise up through the most improbable means you can imagine. And they end up working together as they get to their highest office, only to make the country better in Roosevelt's place and in Booker T. Washington to to raise the African-American costs and let everybody know what the African-Americans are capable of. They weren't fully aware. And to see this white president – With this black guy, treating him like an equal also changed the perception of a generation. Yeah, there's people that never understood it and never bought into it, but these guys changed things to the point where John McCain even mentioned the time it was controversial when Booker T. Washington came to dinner. He said, remember when it was controversial when a black man came to dinner with the white president, and now you'd have a black president, now president of the United States, and if anybody who came would be guests of his. That's how far America came. That's going to be on a special... That drops on Fox Nation Sunday. I'm going to talk about a little uh, tomorrow night on One Nation. A little bit on Jesse's show tonight. I'm going to be hosting that. And you can see me on the road. Uh, I got a pretty cool uh, book tour coming up. And at which time on the book tour, I'm going to countless cities. Usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday during the week. I'll be in Connecticut. But if you go to com and some places you require registration, some tickets... I've cre- we've created some events where I talk about all the books and talk about America's history through that. Also, it's people have said it's motivational, inspirational, uh, very patriotic. I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey, down south in Jersey at 7 o'clock, November 9th. Um, then I'll be in Ponte Vedra, Florida, uh, with Mark uh, Kay and Rich Jones, uh, two great talents, uh, dominating Florida uh, radio and then in the Villages on the 11th, Vero Beach on the 12th, Madison, Connecticut on the 14th, and then back to the Patriot Awards, where I'll be signing there, then going about an hour out of sight in Tennessee and Brentwood. Uh, it's pretty extensive. I also got live show opportunities in Pittsburgh, uh, also Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and others over in Michigan. So check it out. I hope to see you in re- – there's VIP opportunities. I hope to see you on the road, too. Uh, I mean, I'll be – my- I just realized we're going to be in Wichita, Kansas.
1: We're going to be at Wichita, Wichita, Kansas, one of our great affiliates. They're going to have a really fun afternoon event. I know
4: we were talking about it. I'm glad we worked it out for yeah. KQAM. Fantastic. Skokie, Illinois is where I'm going to be doing tickets uh, where you can go buy a ticket and we can just talk about George Washington, Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson the the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans. Uh, you have Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, what happened after the Alamo, and then the President and Freedom Fighter as we worked through the Civil War, and then the first period in the 20th century. As uh, we became a superpower status, but first we had to change our society to be but more Brian, equal Brian, you're more. burying
1: the lead there. Which You is? have your two buddies from high school and grade school that come out, Pat and Rick. Oh, yeah. And you guys do really fun skits on stage. It's Yes. Ed- ed- when ed- I say like, we
4: bring it to life, we actually bring it to literally life. literally bring it
1: to life. Right. They look absolutely ridiculous, but you're learning actual, you know, actual historic facts. In the most fun way possible. 100%. Rick
4: Thatcher and Pat uh, Patrick O'Rourke are an outstanding And comedian. they know secrets
1: about Brian that no one should know.
4: Right. And no one will know. That's the way it stands. And then questions and answers, uh, VIP, and then personalized books. People tell me, I love when you come out in the fall because I know what I'm getting people for Christmas. Because you get personalized copies for Christmas. I, I'll i sit there until we're all done. Com, And, of course, we got the special on Sunday. and Don't miss One Nation on Saturday, 9 p.m. And I'm hosting tonight primetime
9: Jesse show on primetime. It's going to be busy. A lot of stuff going on.